Blog Talk Radio. This is a post time with Mike and Mike production. Wavelet, Jiglet, what a race! Always be Mickey on the outside. Always be Mickey. They're off and it is on. And betting line has taken the lead. Two, two, boom! Just like that. You're tuned in to Harness Racing's fastest 90 minutes post-time with Mike and Mike, with co-host Mike Carter. Believe in the spirit? Do you believe in miracles? And Mike Bozen. Smoking Gun, Shaman Hall, production Smoking Gun is flying. Here comes Smoking Gun. I don't know! Oh, yeah. That just happened! That just happened! Thursday morning, and welcome to Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. Mike Carter, alongside of Mike Bozich, and Mike, boy, do we have an exciting show coming up, uh, but we're going to kick things off uh, with a little bit of a uh, somber note, and uh, also, uh, you know, kind of some information for our listeners. Yeah, we're going to go right into this thing, Mike, and I certainly appreciate everybody joining us here on Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. Aliza uh, Simeone will be joining us. She is a veterinarian from the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture. And of course, I think everybody by now in the harness racing industry knows the type of things that the Meadows has gone through. They've now uh, come out with an announcement on Monday that they suspended racing all the way through February 6th. Uh, and just reading a little bit of the uh, press clippings, uh, Mike, from the USTA. And this is from the USTA Communications Department. Last Wednesday, the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture was notified that a standard bred horse at the Meadows had shown clinical, clinical signs consistent with equine herpes virus. Uh, equine herpes virus. And I'm not even going to try to uh, pronounce the name that, that they uh, have on this particular strain. But uh, to make a long story short, tested positive for EHV1. And at that time, two barns were placed under quarantine. And all horses were restricted from entering or leaving the racetrack. So obviously, further updates are going to be posted as they become available. So we're going to keep a very close eye on that. And right now, from the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture, we're going to bring in veterinarian Eliza Simeone just to ask basically some questions about what exactly we're dealing with here in this virus strain. Eliza, welcome to the program. Thank you. Okay, let's start from square one. Can you explain to our listeners exactly what the equine herpes virus, EHB1, also known as rhino, is? Uh, So like the name suggests, it is a virus that primarily affects equine animals like horses and ponies. It can also affect uh, animals like llamas or alpacas, although that's less common, it is a virus that's really common. You know, everyone's heard of rhino, and it's very, very common in horse populations. Pretty much all foals end up getting infected with it at some point, but it causes, in most of those cases, either no disease or it causes just a snotty nose, a little bit of a fever, basically what you'd call a cold in those animals, and then they just recover. 
Okay, let's talk a little bit about uh, what the symptoms are uh, that maybe horsemen and horsewomen can look for uh, when, they, uh, when they're looking at their horses. Sure. So what's somewhat tricky with this virus is that it can cause all different signs of disease, and in many cases it doesn't cause any signs. When we become more concerned is when it's causing some of the more severe disease signs that it's capable of such as that word that was hard to say, which is uh, equine myeloencephalopathy, which means that the virus is causing problems with the horse's uh, spinal cord and sometimes their brain. When that happens, then we can start to see signs that you would associate with problems with the spinal cord. So sometimes it can almost look like an EPM case, but they often have had a fever in the past week or two. Sometimes we miss that because most people are not taking the temperatures of their horses every day. So you can see everything from just a a cold-like symptom to uh, in pregnant mares, which hopefully we don't have too many at the tracks, but the pregnant mares can lose their foals or have uh, very weak foals born. And then you can have those horses that do develop EHM where they become wobbly their tails may be floppier than usual. If you do go to, to handle their tail, all of a sudden you can lift it right up, which isn't typical. They may just be off behind initially. Sometimes I've heard where, where people are confused and think that it's a lameness at the first sign. Sometimes they'll get to the point where they're leaning against a wall. They're really struggling to stand up, or you go to pick up a foot and they almost fall over. You can pull their whole body over by the tail at times. They may have trouble with their bladder, so sometimes you'll see that they're either dribbling urine all the time or, more severe, they can't get urine out, which is an emergency. Uh, And then you have the worst cases, unfortunately, where the animal becomes unable to stand and you can end up with a down horse. Uh, Unfortunately, those cases, more often than not, do end up being fatal because it's just really hard to get a down horse back. Fortunately, those cases are are few and far between. The vast majority of horses that are infected with this virus don't have the EHM form of it. They may develop other signs, but they don't get that bad. And those horses that develop EHM but don't go down generally do recover. So I, I think I found throughout some of these outbreaks that there's a misconception sometimes that any horse that gets this is going to die, and that is absolutely not the case. Fortunately, if a horseman or horsewoman, Elisa, uh, detects these symptoms, what should be their next step? What should they do next? Well, the first thing to do, like you'd expect, is to contact their veterinarian. You want the veterinarian to come out, check the horse over, see what they find, and depending on those findings, then they may want to take samples to test for it. If they are really suspicious that it is, an EHV case with neurologic signs, then uh, they, they may need to take some initial precautions to try to keep any virus from spreading further than it already has. So, for example, in this, this recent case at the Meadows, as soon as they, they saw that case, it was highly suspicious for this disease, they started immediately limiting movement of animals so that if they got confirmation from the lab test, they were already in a better position to have it controlled and not have it spread any further. So that, that's a really important part is not to try to just wait and see what happens uh, or hope for the best. It's better to just check it out right away, 
so we know what we're dealing with and can try to take action as early as possible to make it a smaller event. Ultimately, that'll end up being best for all of the people and horses at the track. Um, how do how do you guys go about testing uh, for the disease, and how is the virus uh, diagnosed? Well, nowadays it's pretty standardized. The main test that's used is called an RRT-PCR test, and that test is actually looking for some of the viral genetics in the horse, and we're looking specifically at a blood sample. We're looking for active virus in the blood, and we're looking at nasal swab samples, sort of long Q-tip type things that we swab around the inside of the nostrils, and we test them also for virus. So we're not looking to see if the horse has been exposed in the past and developed antibodies. We're looking to see if they have an active infection at that time. Visiting with Elisa Simeone, she is a veterinarian for the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture. Elisa, once diagnosed, uh, what are some of the treatments for a horse with rhino? A horse is with different forms of this disease. It's going to depend on what you do. If they have the EHM form, the neurologic signs, then the treatment is largely supportive, trying to just help the horse get through it, reduce inflammation. There's no one set of treatments for this like there are for some other diseases we deal with. Because it's a virus, antibiotics don't help unless the horse has developed some other bacterial infection. So usually they don't use antibiotics. They use uh, other supportive medications. Every vet sort of has a little bit different perspective on what they like to do for this. There is more and more research showing that using antiviral medications like valacyclovir, especially early, may be helpful, especially it seems that it can reduce the amount of virus that the animals are shedding. So it may reduce the number of horses that become infected. Uh, and it also may help some of these horses that were going to develop the neurologic form to not have as severe of a case. So that's something I see more vets using, especially since that medication has become generic, so it's much more financially manageable than it used to be. Now, obviously, this virus is uh, very contagious amongst horses. How contagious is it actually, and how is the virus transmitted from one horse to another? Well, I'm glad you're asking about that because that's an area that's, that's really, really critical to managing these situations. It is a very contagious virus. It is primarily spread through the respiratory secretions, uh, the nasal discharge from these horses. With pregnant mares that lose their foals, that's a little bit different. They spread it also through the birthing fluids and the placenta. So with most of the, the situations we would be dealing with at a track, we're talking about respiratory spread. The horses can sneeze it out. Generally, you get most of the infections happening because of contact between horses or being close to other horses, such as in paddocks, uh, or if you have a stalling situation where there are gaps between the boards or there's just bars in between the stalls, it's very easy for them to spread it. And then it can go down the line. If you've, of course, been in one of these long track barns, it can take a while to spread from one end to the other, but it, it generally will get there from horse to horse. The other really tricky part, though, is that even though people do not become infected with this virus, people and other objects can carry the virus on their hands, their shoes, on their clothing, 
and on a lot of other pretty common items that are used around horses. And we all get so used to our, our normal routines until you really step back and look at what you're doing, you, you may not realize how much you might be sharing germs between horses. So things like tack, wipe rags, um, the water buckets, if you're sharing the water buckets, of course, but also if you're filling them with a hose and you put the end of the hose in each bucket instead of just letting the water fall into the bucket. Uh, feed scoops, I've seen where the feed scoop goes right into the feed bucket of each horse instead of dumping from above. Trailers, if they aren't cleaned and disinfected between use. So there, there are a lot of different ways we can carry germs between these horses. Um, a lot of that sort of leads into how we can, the things we can do to prevent it, but also ways that we could deal with it once we have an outbreak at a facility. And, and that also goes back to what do you do if you think you have a horse with it? Well, the first thing to do is to try to isolate any of the sick horses. And that's something I really would like to see uh, at racetracks that, that have stabling, that there is a place to stable horses that need to be quarantined because they're sick. Uh, all too often, I think we get you know so overfull at some of the tracks that there's nowhere to put horses when we're in this situation. So it's really something to think about ahead of time. Is there a barn that could be used or some sort of area where these horses could be put right away if they're sick? so that they don't continue to spread the virus. Well, that's good. That was actually my last question about prevention. And I think that's, you know, that's very, very important because obviously if we could prevent it, then we won't have to, you know, worry about it so much. But uh, once again, in a nutshell, and I, I know, you know, I'm going to ask you to repeat yourself just a little bit because I do think that it's worth repeating that it's actually that important. Um, just in 30 seconds or less bullet points, what, uh, how can we prevent it? Well, the best things you can do are to try and keep your horses in good shape so that they're not as stressed. More stressed horses are more likely to shed the virus and are more likely to become sick with it. Isolate sick horses. Make sure that you're not sharing equipment between the horses, that you're really thinking it through, especially if there is an ongoing uh, sickness problem in your facility. If you have new horses coming in, especially in layup facilities or in your training facilities, Keep those new horses away from the existing population for at least two weeks to look for signs of disease before you introduce them to the herd. Uh, and, and always keep an eye out. Make sure that you are, are talking to your vet, that you know what you're looking for, and that you're working closely with them and track personnel to, to deal with these situations because they do happen. All right, great. Well, Lisa, listen, we certainly appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. Great, great information, and uh, hopefully we can get this problem at the Meadows rectified, and uh, hopefully uh, we can continue to have success with this going forward. Thank you, Elisa. Thank you very much for having me. All right, that was uh, Elisa Simeone, and uh, Mike, some good information there. I know usually the especially the last couple of shows, we take the first part to kind of joke around and uh, kind of tee up the show a little bit and talk about what's going on in the harness racing world. But uh, this one is uh, pretty darn important. Yeah, no joking here. Uh, that's for sure. I've been, I worked as a security guard at Colonial Downs and we went through a couple of EHV scares um, as well. And it, it, it's not fun. Um, you got to When you enter and then you exit, you got to step in bleach. You got to sanitize everything you touch. 
And uh, this is a very, very serious, um, serious issue that has caused uh, some tracks, uh, Mike, around uh, the country to kind of restrict uh, horses coming from the meadows, um, horses that have been racing at the meadows. I know here in Ohio, um, if you have been racing at the meadows since January 10th, you are no longer allowed to race in Ohio until this thing is uh, cleared up. All right. So if you missed that interview, it's uh, it's best that you go back and listen to it. If you have any questions or concerns about Rhino and EHB, uh, check us out on the archive a little bit later on on the Bet America Radio Network. Well, Mike, we uh, didn't really uh, tee up the show a little bit, so we, we've got a great show on tap for you today. Drew Monty's about to join us. Mike, Drew's a driver that you're very familiar with. He is quickly coming up on win number 1,000. I'll tell you what, that won't be the last milestone that this young man conquers. Yeah, I completely agree with that. He raced at the Meadowlands uh, some last year. Actually, I had a uh, chat with uh, the late Sam McKee about Drew Monty, and you know he he's a fantastic uh, driver. And I'll tell you what, Mike, he's also a very busy person. He's got a full time job, graduated college, and went or and is um, driving horses. So he leads a uh, leads a pretty busy life. Plus, we were able to get an interview. Uh, on tape with the Hall of Famer Dave Miller. We were able to talk to him yesterday. He is down to New Zealand uh, on his way to Australia, and he actually drove. It's on a, like kind of like a working vacation for the Hall of Famer and actually has won a couple of races down there, so we're going to catch up with the Hall of Famer about that, plus a good story, Mike, a comeback story, if you will. Driver Mike Cole, who's been uh, driving at Dover Downs after about a 10-year absence. We're going to be joined by him at the top of the hour in our Inside Handicapping segment, the one and only Dave Brower from the Meadowlands will be joining us. It's a busy show. As a matter of fact, it's so busy, we haven't even had a chance to get to a commercial break, so we're going to knock that out real quick, and the young driving sensation Drew Monty will join us on the other side of this time out on Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. Back in a flash. At Bet America, we don't do promotions only for new players. As a regular player at BetAmerica.com, you can take advantage of several promotions each week. Go to BetAmerica.com slash extra and visit our promotions calendar and find out how you can get double wager reward points on our featured tracks. It's just another reason why it's time to play the Bet America way. Embroidery Unlimited is a premier provider of quality embroidery, screen printing, and promotional products. Our commitment to quality and pride in our work is second to none. We focus on quality and customer service. For all of your stable or business needs, Embroidery Unlimited is the number one provider in harness racing. Give Jim Winsky a call at 508-485-5522. That's 508-485-5522. Or visit them on the internet at EmbroideryUNL.com. That's EmbroideryUNL.com. Embroidery Unlimited. Have you checked out the new Meadowlands Racing and Entertainment? The Meadowlands features world-class harness racing every Friday and Saturday night beginning at 635. You can dine in Pink, a restaurant that combines tiered dining with amazing views of the racing from every seat in the house. After the races, stop by Victory Sports Bar and Club, where you can bring the action and vitality of all your favorite live sporting events to an upscale place. Victory boasts 40 HD TVs, including 11 big screens for your viewing pleasure. For more information on live racing or to book your reservation, call 201-THE-BIG-M or visit PlayMeadowlands.com.
back on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. Mike Carter alongside of Mike Bozich, and we're joined now by a Western New York driving star, Drew Monty. Drew, what's going on, my friend? How you doing, guys? Thanks for having me. Drew, let's talk a little bit. Uh, you're coming up on win 1,000. I was lucky enough to call win number 100 for you. You've kind of come a long way over the past uh, few years. Um, yeah, definitely. I got a chance to travel a little bit. Um, I know you mentioned, you know, I was doing the Motherlands last winter and got a chance to go to Taug in the summer and, you know, you learn and you get better and see other guys and, you know, the more opportunities you get to drive, you know, the more you learn and, you know, I'm, I've been fortunate enough to, to make it this far. Now, Drew, obviously you're you're a young guy. You're still uh, kind of learning. You're learning on the job, so to speak. And you had a, a good opportunity last year where you had a chance to go to the Meadowlands and you're driving to Tioga. I know you're probably going to do a lot more of that uh, in the future as you, as you grow and mature a little bit. But how is the racing, in your opinion, I mean, as far as the driver goes, what adjustments did you have to make driving on the big track at the Meadowlands, uh, driving on a bigger track at Tioga than was Buffalo? What kind of adjustments did you have to make in your style, if any? Um, definitely, you know, you need to be more patient than you do on a half. Um, a lot of times, I mean, if you're too patient on a half and you're not in the race, you're not going to do that well. Even on a track like Buffalo Raceway, it's, you know, it's kind of harder on a horse, tighter turns and longer straights, you know. But, you know, it wasn't just patience because it works both ways. It's all about flowing on a big track. And, you know, it's it's hard to explain in words. It's more like you go through it and you understand the racing style and how it changes. And that's always different track to track as well. Like, Tioga's a 5 eighths and so is Pocono. But that doesn't necessarily mean you drive in the same way. And that's really... I think what matters the most is learning the, you know, horses, learning the driver colony and kind of what you kind of can't do and what works. And, you know, that takes time to learn, but the quicker you can pick up on it, the the better off you're going to be. Now, Drew, obviously you follow three generations uh, coming into the sport of harness racing. Does, uh, does Carl or Darren still kind of critique your drives a little bit? Oh my God. Every night. (laughs) Yeah, um, and and not in a bad way necessarily, but you know they never uh, they never let me get away with anything, or you know if I do make a mistake that I have no business making, they they definitely let me know about it. Uh, but that's good to have, you know. It, it drives you to be better every night, and you know you don't you're never settled with uh, even good or bad performances. You don't settle with them with uh, with guys like that to look up to. And, of course, you're coming up on uh, driving with number 1,000. I believe you're eight away. Uh, is that – do you view that as kind of a – is that going through the back of your mind when you're driving horses trying to get that win number 1,000 uh, or is it just kind of business as usual? You know, not really. It's business as usual. I mean, it's an exciting thing. Uh, you know, I'm grateful that I've come this far, but it's not like uh, it's not like I'm counting down. You know what I mean? It's just kind of, you know, day in, day out. I know I got to come in and win races, no matter how many wins I got, and uh, you know, win races and make money for for who I'm driving for. Now, Drew, obviously you've driven some fantastic horses, and in the article that I wrote uh, um, a few years back, uh, one of your favorite horses that you've driven was Spender Hanover, who gave Tim Tetrick his 8,000th career win. Is Spender still kind of one of the favorite horses that kind of sticks out to you, or have you driven a few more uh, that maybe Um, uh, kind of match that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, back in the day, too, 
I haven't seen him in his prime, really, Spender Hanover. It was more on the backside of his career, so I would hate to slight him in any way, but I did have a chance to drive good horses at the Meadowlands and, you know, Tioga, wherever, as good as him, if not better, but he'll always stick out to me because so early on in my career, a lot of guys don't get chances to drive horses of his caliber. And, you know, I like we had that talk years ago now, he was one that always stuck out that I knew I could rely on. and I didn't have a lot of power to drive back at that time. And he was one of my, you know, steady drives. I know he was good every week. knew he was going to try, you know, he, uh, he's one that will always stick out to me. Drew Monty joining us, uh, driving extraordinaire from uh, Western New York. And Drew obviously is approaching that 1,000 win milestone. Drew, I know, uh, I know you're a young guy and I know that, you know, right now it's probably just trying to get as many wins as possible, continue to try to get that experience. But have you kind of in the back of your mind mapped out your career, like where you see yourself, where you want to be 5, 10, 15 years down the road? Uh, yeah, I mean, definitely it's it's difficult to do because, you know, things always change. Um, but I would like to see myself, you know, established somewhere, you know, at a better caliber than I'm at, whether it be out east or – you know, wherever, just somewhere where the money's good, the, the racing steady. Um, you know, I've had a chance to go to Yonkers towards the end of the year with a few of my own horses and uh, did pretty good there, win a couple of races. And that's, I, I could see myself fitting in a place like that. Of course, I mean, the caliber is, you know, about as, as good as it comes. But, you know, if you go there and you put in the work and, you know, that's that's what it's all about is giving it a chance and and working at it working at it working at it something like that it would take time but it would it would definitely be worth it if you broke into a place like that now drew obviously you're a very busy guy you graduated college and went on to drive races that same that same night uh you graduated yeah. with a degree in economics from uh, canisius college tell us a little bit about what else you do and how you kind of keep everything together yeah you know it's busy um you know, it's not easy. I'm actually, I just got done jogging today at the barn. Um, I'm still, I'm working part-time, kind of pursuing in, uh, an investment job, personal investment job. And uh, I got eight horses here in, in New York. And, you know, it's it's hectic, but, you know, my family helps out a lot. They're definitely, uh, they're supportive as could be. And um, But you know what? I, I love every minute of it. I, I like having the barn horses. Uh, you know, I like being able to work professionally. It all fits together, and, of course, I love driving horses as well. And, um, Drew, you know, there's nothing I would know. change right now. I, I, I knew, Drew, that you uh, mentioned Yonkers uh, just a couple of minutes ago, and, uh, you know, you're a young uh, up-and-coming driver, and I wanted to get your opinion uh, about the passing lane. Obviously, Yonkers just eliminated their passing lane. Where say you on this subject? Where where do you stand, pro-passing lane, or uh, are you against it? Um you know, I, I really I really don't favor either side. Um, I understand why they removed it. I'm not going to say it doesn't help because I do watch races in Yonkers pretty regularly. I uh, enjoy, you know, that circuit, and it's changed the racing, definitely. Um, now, half-mile racetrack, it's difficult to not have a passing lane because if you are overly aggressive, you know, sometimes that'll show up at the end of the mile. If you're forced to be aggressive, sometimes you don't have a chance at winning like you do if you can be patient. That being said, some horses, you know, they luck out on the trip, and if the passing lane wasn't there, they would have never had a chance to win. So, you know, it works both ways. Um, 
you know, I'm glad they tried it because pretty much every half-mile racetrack in the whole country or the continent has a passing lane. So, you know, kudos to them for changing it up and doing something different. And, you know, that's that's one reason they're they're leading in the sport. All right. Well, Drew, listen, we certainly appreciate you joining us, buddy. Best of luck to you in the future. And uh, we'll be celebrating that 1,000th win when you get it here coming up within the next couple of days. Thank you. Take care. All right, that was Drew Monty. Mike, you had a chance to see Drew quite a bit uh, in the, at your tenure at Buffalo, and he's a young guy now, and we're going back a couple of years. He was really, really a young guy then. As, <laughs> as you mentioned, you had a chance to call his 100th win. What was what was it like, Mike? I mean, I, mean, I know that you know you obviously had to feel real good for the, for the young man, but, I mean, to see somebody that young – you know, continuing to accomplish milestone after milestone. And the fact that he's got a great head on his shoulders, I mean, he graduated college, that that even makes this kid more special, if you ask me. Yeah, definitely. He's gotten a chance to drive some really good horses, Mike. Uh, When he was out at Buffalo Raceway, we kind of talked about, you know, his future and talked about, you know, maybe being on the grand circuit sometime. And he said he was open to the idea, but was taking his time. And and that's one thing about Drew is he always thinks things through. Uh, One big thing that I always loved about him is if he was sitting sixth or seventh, and when they turned for home, that passing lane opened up and Buffalo's got the longest stretch uh, for a half mile track in the country. You always, always, always had to be looking for him because he just managed to show up. He shot up the passing lane so many times or came from the outside. He used to like to come from last to first and uh, what a great driver. And he's very patient. You know, uh, when I say that he's very uh, open-minded and kind of takes his time and thinks about things, he kind of relates that to his driving style as well with uh, as patient as he is. Yeah, we talked to Brian Mazurik uh, last week. Of course, Brian, uh, the handicapping extraordinaire from Buffalo, and he mentioned that. I mean, the big long stretch, and Drew mentioned it as well, with the tight turns and the long stretch, you know, at Buffalo. And, and obviously, there's a lot of room to be patient, and Drew's kind of mastered that. So hats off to Drew, a smart kid, and you'll certainly be seeing that name a lot in the near future. Uh, well, we've got the, still a lot left on this very busy edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. A very good story coming up next. Driver Mike Cole, a name that you uh, haven't seen a lot uh, over the past uh, good grief, five, six, seven years, but uh, he's making a comeback and he's making a statement. He's been doing very well over the last couple of days at Dover. We'll talk to Mike uh, coming up here in just a few minutes. Plus the Hall of Famer, Dave Miller, will be joining us. He's down under in uh, New Zealand and he's heading to Australia and he's my good grief. I mean, he's driving now in standing starts and turf races and uh, Dave's he's really, he's, he's really getting the best of both worlds out there. But I told him, and I'm going to give you a little bit of, of a, a teaser for this interview. Mike, I told him, I said, listen, don't get used to it down there because if we have to have Trump's on the secret service to bring him back, we're not letting the hall of famer get out of the States. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he he's having some fun over there, and Mike, and maybe you know this because this is something I, I wasn't privy to. Is, is he over there just in like a driver's challenge, or is he just like on vacation? He's on a working. Well, no, yeah, I guess it's a working vacation. I guess it's a working vacation. Oh, okay. so we'll, yeah. we'll talk well, to there you go. Working vacation. Yeah. You know, listen. If I brought Kate overseas and started driving races, she might strangle me. 
But you know what? Listen, we 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 have a lot of working vacations too, so I could certainly understand that. But uh, I mean, Dave's getting a chance to, you know, I mean, do what he loves to do, drive horses as uh, well as uh, take some time off. So hats off to him for that. We'll uh, see what's going on down with Dave in New Zealand uh, in uh, just a couple of minutes. Plus, it's inside handicapping coming up at about fifteen or twenty. Dave Brower is going to be joining us. You know, I never knew that Dave wrote a book until he posted oh. it on Facebook. Yeah, you had to tell me about it. I uh, I found that kind of interesting myself. We're gonna get uh, we're gonna get into the handicapping mind of Dave Brower coming up at about eleven fifteen. We've got the like I said, a lot more coming up on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike. We'll take a time out when we come back. It's driver Mike Cole up next. Mike Bozich here along with Mike Carter for Pacing for the Cure. Do you or someone you love with multiple sclerosis have a difficult time paying for your MS medications or need medical equipment such as a wheelchair or scooter? Pacing for the Cure can help. Please visit the pacingforthecure.org website and complete the mobility aid application. If eligible, you may receive funding. Again, that's pacingforthecure.org. Mike? Are you a harness racing trainer, driver, or owner? Please join the list of those who pledged in 2017 for the $1 per win challenge. The 2018 challenge has begun and wins tally from January 1st to October 31st. If you are interested in joining the challenge, please email jeff at pacingforthecure.org. Thank you, drivers, trainers, and owners. Once again, that's pacingforthecure.org. Are you interested in learning more about owning standard bred racehorses? Do you want to experience the excitement of driving a standard bred? Owning a racehorse is a once-in-a-lifetime experience and not as difficult as you may think. The United States Trotting Association wants to help make your ownership dreams a reality. Contact a member of the Ownership Concierge team by email at owners at ustrotting.com or by calling 877-800-8782, extension 5555. New Vocations Resource Adoption Program. Retrain, rehab, rehome. New Vocations focuses on adoption as the optimal solution for the large numbers of horses that leave the track each year. The program provides rehabilitation and transitional training to prepare the horses for a productive life beyond racing. Each horse is evaluated for temperament, soundness, and suitability to help ensure a successful adoptive match. New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program, celebrating 25 years and over 6,000 horses placed. Learn more at newvocations.org. You're tuned in to the Bet America Radio Network. Host Jason Bean brings you new shows every Monday through Friday. We bring you the best personalities from across the racing world with extensive interviews, commentary, news, games, and more. The Barn is revolutionizing what horse racing radio can be. And you can hear new shows at BetAmerica.com or just search Bet America Radio Network on iTunes, Spreaker, Stitcher, or iHeartRadio. Get in the Barn. We're back on post time with Mike and Mike presented by Bet America. Mike Bozich along with Mike Carter and Mike. We've with the first time that uh, our listeners have probably heard that little 
commercial, that little promotional piece. And I don't think that's something we do enough on this program is give uh, props to uh, the other side of the fence here on the Bet America Radio Network, our good man Jason Beam, who I believe he does his show daily with Thoroughbreds. Am I right? Yeah, he does the show uh, daily uh, with the Thoroughbreds, has different guests on, and uh, talks, uh, I think most recently, talked about the uh, Eclipse Awards. Yeah, absolutely. Boy, the, speaking of the Eclipse Awards, <laughs> they drug on till well, what time? It was past midnight, wasn't it? Listen, if the if the Dan Patch Awards drag on past midnight, I might be passed out at the table. It's past my bedtime. <laughs> Well, listen. No, don't kid yourself. As long as they're feeding you, you're, giving you food, giving you food and giving you a drink, you'll be uh, nice and wide and awake. By the way, that's coming up. Uh, what day is that, Mike? That's the uh, Sunday, uh, February twenty fifth. Uh, check it out on uh, Facebook Live at uh, the United States Harness Raiders Association, or check it out the next day on YouTube via the U.S. Trotting Association. Boy, do I sound like that's a walking right. ad. Mike, the well, the usual breakthrough award winner, of course, for 2017, Mike Carter. Uh, Mike, have you finished your speech yet? Yeah, I've, uh, I finished uh, my speech. I'm actually working on uh, my second one because uh, I will be presenting the uh, – well, you're laughing, but it's the, it's the God's honest truth. I'm presenting the uh, 2000. 17 Caretaker of the Year Award presented by Hard Rock Roxino Northfield Park. Uh, I was uh, bestowed uh, upon our management uh, to uh, present that award, and I'm very honored to be able to present that award this year. In fact, we're going to have the Caretaker of the Year on the uh, show next week. Beautiful. Good stuff. And, uh, you know, actually, it's probably more nerve-wracking presenting than it is to actually do the speech of your own because, you know, when you're presenting, it's, I don't know, I just think it would be a lot more pressure to present as opposed to, you know, maybe uh, talking about yourself. And uh, but how long is your speech going to be? You're not going to, it's not going to be like one of those half hour speeches, is it? Listen, I, I already come up with my joke. I'm not going to let it. Yeah, and it's probably here. about me. No. <laughs> no, it's actually, actually, there is a joke about you in the, in the, uh, in the speech, uh, not being technologically adept, but uh, anyways, but uh, yeah, no, it's about a minute and 50 seconds or so long. I think I get two minutes. So I'm going to use every bit of it, but I want to make sure I uh, take time to thank everybody, including uh, the people who help our show. All right, very good. So that's good stuff. Uh, and you can once again, you can see that on Facebook Live. We'll be talking about that as the uh, as it gets closer. But the, right now, we're joined by uh, certainly a comeback of the year candidate already. It was so early in 2018. Uh, driver Mike Cole now joining us on the program. Mike, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you? All right, fantastic. Well, Mike, listen, we certainly appreciate you joining us. Let's uh, let's start this interview. Let's get right to the nuts and bolts of this thing. You know, about uh, 10, 11 years back, and, well, I mean, a little bit sooner than that, I was back at Hazel Park, and uh, I noticed that uh, there was a driver by the name of Mike Cole on the Delaware scene that was doing very, very well, and uh, all of a sudden you don't see the name on the program anymore, and we, uh, you know, it's kind of pretty uh, well-documented. You were dealing with personal issues and that. Uh Let's start by telling everybody, uh, you don't have to go into what the personal issues were. Obviously, we're not going to ask you that, but uh, just tell us about how it was getting back, getting over that, and uh, just kind of maintaining that drive and maintaining that focus to, you know, after those personal problems that you conquered your demons and now are living uh, or continuing to live a dream. Uh, yeah, it was great. Um, you know, the, the years leading up until Monday – I never thought I was going to make it back to the races. I never thought I would get licensed again, let alone, you know, just or even get through my struggle. 
And, um, you know, I just made a decision. I made a choice to make a change. And, uh, you know, my family, my father, George Dennis, and my mother, Tina Dennis, were so supportive during this whole situation. And, you know, they just taught me, and they instilled values over me over the past few years. Now, Mike, what was it like to get back into the sulky? Uh, was it kind of a learning experience, or was it kind of one of those things that uh, is like riding a bike and just kind of came back to you? Yeah, that's funny. Um, you know, they they when they did decide to license me, they made me qualify 10 different horses over three periods, all approved drives. Uh, that was the judges and the Delaware Race Commission's rules. Um, I got that done. You know, the qualifiers were easy, but that first drive, you know, there were so many feelings and emotions going through my mind that, you know, I was so grateful to be back in that position, you know, and, um, you know, words can't explain what I was going through at that moment, but it's been five years of, you know, struggles and learning lessons that put me in that spot. You know, Mike, you see, uh, you know, a lot of these younger drivers coming up, and we just had one on the show, uh, Drew Monty, but you see a lot of these guys, and they start earlier and earlier, it seems like. You see a lot of guys out there driving in paramutual events at ages 18, 19, and 20, and it seems like, you know, that you see it not only in harness racing, you see it in a lot of different sports. You see it in the NBA and the NFL and and uh, you know Major League Baseball, where when success kind of comes too quickly, other temptations, you know, kind of make their way onto the scene a little bit. You know, what are some of the things now? Now you've went through it. You know, you're back and you know you're kicking butt. What are some of the things that maybe you can tell some of these younger guys? that may have to deal with, you know, something like this? What's some of the advice that you can give them to kind of, you know, stay focused on what the task at hand is? Uh, really just, you know, these younger kids are growing up and they're being able to do what they dream of. Everybody, when they're younger in the harness business, wants to be a top driver in the country. Um, when that time comes and you are successful, a lot of money comes in. Um, with a lot of money, you can buy a lot of materialistic things that are really not important. But at a young age, you probably think they are important. Um, you know, what I think I would have ever done again, I would have trusted my parents for my money, or I would have got an accountant. That would be the number first thing I would have done. Uh, second thing I would have done was, you know, just slow the pace down a little bit. You know, racing five nights a week, traveling from track to track, and then, you know, trying to be young and thinking you have to have a nice nightlife. You know, you take the racing industry and what you have for granted. You think that the racing industry needs you, but really you need them. Mike, uh, let's uh, look at a little bit more positive notes here. Uh, obviously, with your driving career comes wins. And what's what's kind of a race you uh, would like to win, uh, you know, as you go out throughout your career? You know, everybody, you want to win. You know, you want to win the Little Brown Jug. You want to win the Hamiltonian. Um, you know, I win my first race with my um, my father's horse, George Dennis, uh, back in 1998. And uh, like, I, like I shared on social media the other day, that first drive back was for my father. And by the grace of God and, you know, a lucky trip, and it panned out, I win my first race back. And that feeling, winning for my parents, knowing how proud they are and, you know, seeing everybody wanting, wanting you to do good, you know, it's a great thing. Like uh, my trainer and good friend Joe Colombo, you know, we got a great team of people underneath us and we make sure these horses are ready every time we go to the track. You know, I'll tell you what, Mike, there are two things 
that, uh, you know, that just kind of can get you through a lot in life. One is to have a great support staff. Obviously, you know, it's been pretty well established that you have that. And number two, and I know it sounds very cliched, but what doesn't kill you ultimately will make you stronger. And uh, obviously that's certainly the case here, but Mike, let's, uh, let's, let's go back in time even further. Tell us a little bit of the first time on the show. So it's kind of a, a question that we like to ask everybody. We like to get their perspectives. Tell us about how you actually got started in the business and, you know, some of the early days, give us an insight of some of the early days of one Mike Gold. Yeah. I remember when I was younger, I was running around like I grew up at Brandywine, you know, and I came up running around, you know, the racetracks, my mother was working, you know, as a groom for some people, um, I believe it was like 17, you know, 20 years ago, 20 years ago, my mother met my stepfather, George Dennis. He was a, like, up, he was a top driver in, in Maryland and Delaware at a very young age too. Um, you know, growing up underneath him, it was horses every day. You know, it was go to school, get good grades, you paddock at night and you work with horses during the day. I mean, whatever you can do. Um, you know, you always think you want to be a driver. I know when I turned 18, I did not think I was going to be a driver because young drivers, they are coming around, but Delaware has a top circle of drivers. Um, my father, my, you know, they sent me to a blacksmithing school. I thought I was going to be a blacksmith. So I had something to fall back on, you know, which was very fortunate when I did get suspended and get in trouble. I was able to shoe horses and make money and make ends meet. Well, Mike, listen, we certainly appreciate you joining us, my friend. Best of luck to you in the future. Now, for everybody that's kind of following you, you're driving uh, at Dover uh, primarily. Is that where you where you see yourself? Is that where you're going to focus uh, the next couple of years at? Do you, are you looking to branch out a little bit, or are you pretty much going to stay on the Delaware scene? I'm pretty much going to stay on the Delaware scene. You know, if we do ch- tend to go to Chester, it's a little closer for me, too. Uh, we do have a nice crop of three-year-old stake horses that are coming back from their two-year-old year. They should be racing at Yonkers and Freehold and other tracks, you know, coming in May. So I'd like I'd like to branch out and get as many places and many drives as I can. All right. Well, Mike, we appreciate you joining us, buddy. Uh, congratulations on your comeback. I know it's not an easy thing to do, and uh, I'll tell you what, you made it, my friend. Keep chugging at it. Keep working at it. I appreciate the time and consideration. Thank you. All right, that was driver Mike Cole, and uh, I'll tell you what, it's uh, it's an interesting story, and Mike, like I was asking uh, Mike Cole, you see it all the time in, you know, primarily in other sports, um, where, you know, you're young, and you get lavished with all kind of praise, all kind of money, and it's very tough sometimes to, you know, kind of stay focused, especially at that young age on what you're trying to do. And, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, things can get out of whack, but uh, certainly kudos and hats off to Mike Cole for kind of, <clears throat> for kind of beating those demons and, uh, or for beating those demons, not kind of, he did. And uh, coming back and uh, hopefully uh, we're going to be uh, hearing a lot from his uh, driving abilities in the future. Yeah, definitely. It's not easy to come back from uh, stuff that he went through, Mike. And, you know, for anybody to overcome that is a uh, fantastic uh, thing. And, you know what, full support to Mike Cole. And hopefully uh, he can continue on driving and kind of put this in his past and uh, not necessarily forget about it, but to uh, make sure that, you know, he doesn't make those same mistakes again. 
Yeah, I'll tell you, it sounds like a cliche, but it's true. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So we'll continue to follow the journey of Mike Cole as he continues to get more drives and the Delaware Circuit, Dover and Harrington. Up next, it's our Inside Handicapping segment, our good, good buddy, Dave Brown is going to be joining us. We're going to pick his handicapping brain a little bit. And uh, this is a couple, you know, Mike, there's a couple of other things I want to ask him about too, because, uh, uh, you know, if anybody follows Dave Brown on Facebook, they see almost on a daily basis all kind of terrific delicacies from the chef mind of Dave Brower. And I'll tell you what. You know, one of these days he's going to have to invite me over for dinner because, you know, every dish that he puts on Facebook just looks better and better and better. And, it, you know, like like he puts seafood. I don't even like seafood and it looks good. Well, listen, you know, one thing I am on now is Weight Watchers. He's making me want to quit. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, he's making me want to quit with all those uh, steaks and fantastic looking food. So we'll find out more about that uh, on the backside of this commercial break. You've got post time with Mike and Mike presented by Bet America. Looking to bet on great racing from around the country and around the world? There's no better place than BetAmerica.com. But there's also no better time to join because right now we're offering a 100% sign-up bonus up to $100 on your first deposit. Simply open a new account at BetAmerica, make your first deposit, and we'll add your bonus immediately. It's It's that easy. easy. Sign up today at BetAmerica.com. Attention all breeding funds. Did you know Pacing for the Cure has a stud fee for scooter program? Your stud fee donations will help those living with MS with severe mobility limitations obtain a scooter and be able to continue to enjoy their love of harness racing. Contact Jeff at pacingforthecure.org if you'd like to make a donation. Mike? In case you haven't noticed, Mr. Bill G. has begun pacing for the cure for multiple sclerosis. Join in on the fun and weekly contest on Facebook to guess where he will place in each race. Like and share our page. Great prizes available for the lucky winners. Better yet, come out to the racetrack and watch him race live. Let's start a Mr. Bill G. fan club and start blogging on the journey page of the pacingforthecure.org website. Once again, that's pacingforthecure.org. Have you checked out the new Meadowlands Racing and Entertainment? The Meadowlands features world-class harness racing every Friday and Saturday night beginning at 635. You can dine in pink, a restaurant that combines tiered dining with amazing views of the racing from every seat in the house. After the races, stop by Victory Sports Bar and Club where you can bring the action and vitality of all your favorite live sporting events to an upscale place. Victory boasts 40 HD TVs including 11 big screens for your viewing pleasure. For more information on live racing or to book your reservation, call 201-THE-BIG-M or visit PlayMetalands.com. This edition of Host Time with Mike and Mike presented by Bet America as we enter our inside handicapping segment. We're joined now by Dave Brower from Meadowlands Racing and Entertainment. Dave, what's going on, my friend? Hey, guys, what's going on? Good morning to everybody out there. Uh, just getting ready to uh, approach another you know, big weekend of racing action. We've got, what, foiled again coming up tonight at Yonkers, trying to win his 100th race. And then the back-to-back 13 race cards on Friday and Saturday at the Meadowlands. 
I'm still working on Saturday's uh, stuff now, and as usual, I'm uh, pulling my hair out because these races are tough, guys. Listen, the last couple of weeks, uh, the racing has been very, very good at the Meadowlands and, you know, very competitive. Uh, we, we won't talk about uh, the high five I gave out uh, a couple of weeks ago, but <laughs> but uh, one thing for sure that I didn't know uh, was that uh, you had written a book and uh, Mike and I were kind of talking off the air about it. And, uh, you know, we, we kind of want to know what, what was the book and, uh, you know, what was inside of it and uh, how did that come about? Well, uh, it's actually a long time ago already. I, sometimes I forget, uh, you know, some of the things that I've done. But it, it was initiated um, through Dean Kepler, who at the time was the, uh, um, what would I say, the, the the racing writer for DRF Press. So it was actually a daily racing form publication. And he wrote uh, a couple of books himself. He had Bill Finley write a couple of books. I think he wrote... Uh, you know, how to bet the Kentucky Derby and things like that. And he wanted a harness book. So he had seen me on drive time on TVG for uh, several years, along with Gary Seibel. And he emailed me one day and says, hey, you want to write a book? I said, yeah, all right, let's go for it. And uh, getting the job done, um, you know, it was published. It's still available, I think, through uh, DRF Press. And, you know, there's some secondhand copies on Amazon and other sites like that or whatever. And I, it, it, it was kind of like an overview of handicapping, you know, for me, the Meadowlands, and I got uh, Derek Givner to write a chapter on Yonkers, and I got Keith Gisser to write a chapter on, like, Northfield Park, which was doing a lot of business back then, and still does, as you know, Mike. And uh, I had a, a nice opening chapter where I spent the day with Brian Sears, you know, just kind of picking his brain and how he goes about his uh, daily routine before he goes to work at night. So, it was, it, it was very entertaining you know, some of the handicapping principles may be a little bit out of date by now, but uh, still uh, worth a read. And there still are some basic foundations of handicapping that, uh, you know, obviously hold true today. And I think as we see the modern day age of handicapping, as I like to call it, so to speak, you see a lot of these theorems kind of based on angles, you know, looking for, you know, first-time trainers, looking for uh, first-time drivers, just, you know, kind of a lot of different things. But when you get right down to it, there still is that basic foundation of handicapping that deals with class, uh, you know, post-improvement, what kind of trips uh, are the horses going to get? What are some of the things, Dave, that you look for first when you open a page and uh, kind of set your sights on a race? Well, guys, you know, now that I'm back doing the uh, morning line odds and analysis of the Meadowlands, it's, it's kind of like I start with, you know, who's moving up in class, who's moving down in class. Um, I look at, you know, the listed drivers in any particular race because we know, you know, Brett Miller and Jimmy Merlin Jr. kind of get put down on several horses sometimes in a race and they have to make a decision. So I try to guess, you know, and, and anticipate which one they will choose and then, you know, make the odds accordingly. And, you know, you know that, that's how it starts. Then how it finishes is when you, when you look over a field of 10 and, you, and you, you kind of put the race flow in your mind. Okay, this horse is going to leave. This horse is going to leave. You know, this horse has post 10. He's going to take back. You know, and, and then, you know, you, you, you kind of come up with an idea of finding a little bit of value. I mean, if you end up doing all of that and then you end up liking the favorite, you know, I don't know, maybe that's a race you should pass because – you really don't want to be playing too too many favorites in harness racing because that's gonna it's gonna hurt you in the long run because not enough of them are going to win for you to win you know over time. 
Now, Dave, let's talk a little bit about just how important, uh, and we, we talk about pick fours and pick fives and high fives and superfectas, even trifectas and exactas. Ticket construction, in my opinion, is very, very, very important. And uh, I guess we'll, we'll, we will touch on this high five from a couple of weeks ago. I kind of set my tickets up. <laughs> Uh, almost, even when I'm playing them, almost the same way, um, because you don't, you know, in some instances you don't want to spend a killing, you know, on a race. And so, how important is ticket construction when it comes to those, uh, you know, trifectas, superfectas, or even the multi-race wagers? Well, I'll tell you what, it, it, it's funny you guys bring that up because that that's kind of like a new phrase in the world of, of handicapping and betting, ticket construction and, and spreading and things like that. I wish I had known about that a long, long time ago because, you know, I was pretty reckless, I guess would be the right word, you know, years ago and, and some of the bets that I made. And, you know, you, then the race would end and you, you'd have, you'd finish first, second and fourth and you say to yourself, well, why didn't I use that horse for third? I think it's very important, but but it's all based on your budget too. I mean, you know, you go into a race or you go into a racing card and at night, and you you sit back and you pull out whatever money you have. All right, I got a hundred dollars to bet tonight. All right, I got twenty dollars to bet tonight. Let let me find my best shot. So when you go over a card, you say, all right, the fourth race tonight is, is the race that I really think you know I have a strong opinion. I'm going to take a shot. Well, do, do us a favor. Bet most of your money on the fourth race. Don't you know squander it away early on. Don't uh, you know try and take a shot uh, on some hopeless long shot early. And, and take a shot on the race that you feel strongest about. Take the construction though. Again, don't don't let some some long shot beat you out for third or fourth in a superfecta or whatever. Use as many horses as you can underneath those spots. But if your if your main opinion is correct. And the horse that you think will win does, you better have it. You know, you better not let something else ruin your, you know, your, your good opinion. Visiting with David Brower from the Meadowlands Racing and Entertainment uh, on our Inside Handicapping segment brought to you by our good friends at Midwest Harness Support. Make sure you visit them online, MidwestHarnessSupport.com. Dave, we talked about some of the pluses that we can look for in horses, and we talked about ticket construction. But what do you think some of the – overrated angles may be some of the kind of the red herrings where you look and you you look at a horse and you're like wow this look, actually looks kind of good but maybe we put as handicappers too much emphasis on that particular thing uh probably first time lasix you know that that's something that's you know a bygone era kind of thing it just doesn't really make that much of a difference anymore um the, the the biggest thing for me, and, and I faced this, you know, back in November when we reopened back up at the Meadowlands, is horses shipping in from other tracks. It's very, very difficult to transition and try and figure out the form of a horse coming from Harris, Philly, Mike, where you work, you know, and then shipping over to the mile track at the Meadowlands. It's a completely different surface. Some horses just aren't able to go mile track speed, and sometimes it takes them a start or two, but... Uh, it's just tough, you know, and, and we had a lot of a lot of horses when Yonkers was closed during their holiday break, they would come over to the Meadowlands and simply put, some of them just can't go fast enough. You know, you, you, you only have to go so fast on the half-mile track at Yonkers, but then when you come to the Meadowlands, you got to go, you know, probably two or three seconds faster, and some horses can't do it. So even though they might be dropping in class, they're a little bit overrated, and they don't get the job done and disappoint a lot of people at short odds. 
Now, Dave, it's funny you mentioned that uh, because speed ratings, um, you don't see them as much in programs anymore. Um, I know some of the Canadian tracks uh, kind of throw some speed ratings in there. How important uh, are those, and do you use those when you handicap races? Not at all. I, I, I'm, I'm not the world's biggest time guy when it comes to that. I'm, I'm much more about class and, you know, ability, I guess would be the right word. So, you know, any, any kind of speed rating or something like that to me is irrelevant. I mean, it does work for thoroughbreds, um, you know, with, with ragas and sheets and numbers and stuff like that. But there, there, there really is, in my opinion, no true speed rating for, for a standard bred race because the, the final time is so dependent upon the pace within the race. Um, you know, they, they can go slow early, they can go fast late, unlike the thoroughbreds where they just go as fast as they can for as long as they can. Now, now, Dave, and, and I guess, you know, so, and I guess it's kind of hard. So I'm going to use this as an example. Let's say, you know, the Western Fair, it has it in the book as 203. And they say that 203 yeah. mile is 158 at the Meadowlands. Obviously, you know, how, how do you kind of gauge those? You just kind of, you just kind of toss those off and don't even worry about those. I don't. Yeah. I, the time to me is almost irrelevant. It, it's basically the class level that they were competing in. And, you know, obviously if a horse is coming from, you know, a, a bunch of different places, it, it's, it's very hard to, to relate, you know, where they belong, where they're going to fit or how they're going to compete, you know, when they get to the mile track, it's just a brand new ball game. So I, I'm just not a time guy, you know. Dave, one more question before we let you go. Uh, Coming up in our Post Times uh, newsletter, which will be released a little bit uh, later afternoon, maybe early evening, there's a nice article uh, on there about uh, what to watch for in race replays. And obviously that's a big, big thing for handicappers that still put in the time, and it's very time-consuming. If you're a replay watcher, it can Mm -hmm. take up a lot of your day. But uh, I think it's commonplace where a lot of people kind of look for horses that uh, maybe get shuffled and are raging with pace late but never get room or horses maybe that are parked a mile or first over for a long period of time if that's not their preferred racing style but what are some of the things in your opinion that we could look for in race replays that may be kind of off the beaten path you have to look for the subtle stuff mike and mike you know it it, it's if when it's obvious and everybody sees it it's almost not not even worth seeing because uh, you know the, the horse will be over bet most likely in, in its following start. So you have to just kind of like pay attention when you're watching a race live to the back of the pack. You know, you, you'll see little things, you know, where drivers might wrap up on a horse and, and you know, when, when they know they're not going to get any money, but, but the horse has pace. Um, you know, it, the other thing too is, is, you know, in the winter, especially, you know, when it's a cold and windy night, you know, any horse that goes first over or has to take a lot of air and then, you know, finishes well and doesn't pack it in, you, you give them a little extra points for next time. And, and you'd be amazed how often you can come up with a, you know, a good double-digit long shot that's live uh, in situations like that. You know, always pay attention, you know, to the bias over the course of an entire evening. We've had a couple of nights at the Meadowlands so far this winter where, you know, speed horses just weren't holding on. And it becomes pretty obvious over the course of the night. You know, a good horse will suddenly get tired. Or, you know, the opposite is true when, you know, speed horses are just blasting right down the road and nobody can make up any ground from the back. So so you'll find that odd horse that, you know, got away eighth or ninth and maybe sat in and saved ground and shook loose late and was making up good ground at the end against against the bias. But, it, but it's got to be subtle because if it's obvious, everybody sees it, and that's, you know, that's not going to help you in the long run. 
Good, good stuff. Well, Dave, listen, we certainly appreciate you joining us. But before we let you go, we do have to talk to you about what we really brought you on here for, and that's food. <laughs> we see this on Facebook each and every day. And I'm scrolling through my Facebook news feed, and there it is. Every darn day, some kind of delicacy that you have put together. What uh, are, Have you ever went to school for being a chef? No, 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 no. I'm I'm self-taught, taught by my mother years ago or whatever. But listen, you, you guys know we're in the gambling business and stuff like that. It's a lot of pressure. Everybody has to have a way to de-stress. And for me, cooking and or eating is how I de-stress. I mean, there's nothing better to me than, you know, getting ready to put a pot of sauce on the stove and, you know, cutting up the tomatoes and the onions and the garlic and things like that. So that's how I de-stress. That's how I enjoy myself. And we try to, you know, share it with people that, that are similarly interested. We've got a group on Facebook. It's called Harness Racing Foodies. I think we've got like 1,200 people in the group. You know, a lot of people will put their, you know, their pictures up and stuff like that. And I think it's great. I enjoy seeing them. I enjoy sharing them. You know, I enjoy being part of it. And if uh, Carter there is on Weight Watchers, well, I, I don't know what to tell him. I can't help him with that. <laughs> well, listen, what, if I see you next month at the Dan Patch, just ignore my Weight yeah. Watchers side, okay? Uh, don't don't even come over to me. I won't even talk to you if you're still on Weight Watchers by then. Come yeah, on, Carter's, you can do better than that. <laughs> Carter's on this. Car, listen, Carter's on this Weight Watching thing, and I know he scrolls and sees your pictures of food. So I guess my next question is, hey, Dave, have you heard from his lawyer yet? <laughs> no, 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 no lawyers. We 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 don't want to get that technical. Don't worry. Well, well listen, listen. I'll Dave, buy I'll buy I, him a hot fudge Sunday when I see him in Florida. How there about you that? go. Yeah, there you go. Me. We'll go out for dessert. Yeah, you know, we'll go out for dessert, and uh, we'll you know, maybe we'll have a couple of beers. Who cares? You know. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah. Light beers, right? Coors Light. <laughs> yeah. Listen, we're on vacation. Points don't matter. <laughs> That's correct. Yeah. What happens? What happens in Orlando stays in Orlando. There you go. There you go. There you go. All right. Well, Dave, listen. We certainly appreciate you joining us, buddy. Best of luck to you at the Meadowlands. I know you've got the hardest job in all oh. of harness racing, and that is putting together that morning line at the Meadowlands. That that's a monster. Yeah, it's it's not easy, and you know you know you're always going to make a mistake here and there, but you just got to turn the page, get over it, and uh, move on because there's always another race coming up. There's always another day, and uh, good luck, guys. Thanks for having me on, and good luck to Foiled again tonight. We want to see him get that hundredth win. No doubt. Thank you, buddy. All right. See you. That was Dave Brower. And our Inside Handicapping segment brought to you by our good friends at Midwest Harness Report. Make sure you visit them online, MidwestHarnessReport.com. They've got a very, very nice publication uh, centering in on the harness racing scene in the Midwest. Once again, and it's very, very affordable, that publication, by the way. Good, good stuff. Our good friend Tim Conkle did a fantastic job. Once again, visit him online, MidwestHarnessReport.com. But the good stuff right there from Mr. Brower, Mike. Well, my mute button got stuck. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. Yeah, no, definitely some great stuff uh, from Dave. And, you know, it, it's kind of interesting when we talk about, uh, like, speed ratings, for instance. Uh, I wanted to ask him about that because you don't see that very much in programs anymore. And you used to see that a two-minute mile at Western Fair, for example, was 157 at the Meadowlands or 201 at Kawartha Downs. So it was kind of interesting that he uh, kind of downplayed those a little bit. Well, Mike, uh, this is our – and we haven't really talked about it. We didn't really talk about it a whole lot last week and really haven't had a chance to talk about it so far throughout the course of this show. But uh, later on 
this afternoon or early this evening our second installment of the brand new newsletter called The Post Times will be released, and you can find that on the website at posttimewithmikeandmike.com. And uh, some good stuff, Mike. We've got some very, very good reviews in the uh, the first edition. It's going to be a weekly edition released every Thursday. And don't miss the second edition because this second installment's got some good stuff. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we took some time to uh, put together something uh, pretty good uh, this time around. Uh, it was very good the last time, but this is uh, some good stuff as well. And, and, you know, Mike, the big thing about it is we just kind of keep everything positive. We're not trying to, you know, showboat anybody or, you know, put any negative publicity out there. So this gives us kind of a little bit of free reign to, you know, find the feel-good stories, find the Michael Coles of the sport and kind of uh, run with it. Absolutely. So once again, check the website and follow us on uh, Twitter. Like us on Facebook, posttimewithmikeandmike.com for the second installment of the Post Times newsletter, which will be released a little bit later on, the late this afternoon, early evening, maybe somewhere around 5, 6 o'clock or so. Well, we still have uh, one more interview left on this edition of Post Time with Mike and Mike. We had a chance to catch up with our good buddy, the Hall of Fame driver, Dave Miller, down at under he's uh, been driving in new zealand and he's uh, headed to australia actually uh, won his first race down to new zealand at uh, abington park and uh, then he went on to win a turf race and he has been doing a lot of things or he's been participating in a lot of things that are different than what the racing is in the united states with standing starts and turf racing and so forth so we're going to hear from the hall of famer on the backside of this time out you've got post time with mike and mike presented by bet america don't go anywhere new vocations resource adoption program retrain rehab rehome New Vocations focuses on adoption as the optimal solution for the large numbers of horses that leave the track each year. The program provides rehabilitation and transitional training to prepare the horses for a productive life beyond racing. Each horse is evaluated for temperament, soundness, and suitability to help ensure a successful adoptive match. New Vocations Racehorse Adoption Program, celebrating 25 years and over 6,000 horses placed. Learn more at newvocations.org. Embroidery Unlimited is a premier provider of quality embroidery, screen printing, and promotional products. Our commitment to quality and pride in our work is second to none. We focus on quality and customer service. For all of your stable or business needs, Embroidery Unlimited is the number one provider in harness racing. Give Jim Winsky a call at 508-485-5522. That's 508-485-5522. Or visit them on the internet at EmbroideryUNL.com. That's EmbroideryUNL.com. Embroidery Unlimited. Are you interested in learning more about owning standard bred racehorses? Do you want to experience the excitement of driving a standard bred? Owning a racehorse is a once-in-a-lifetime experience and not as difficult as you may think. The United States Trotting Association wants to help make your ownership dreams a reality. Contact a member of the Ownership Concierge team by email at owners at ustrotting.com or by calling 877-800-8782, extension 5555. And as 
has uh, sustained this run to go to the lead from West Deros, then Grand Princess, Lone Star Lad, two lengths to Maya and Zone Scarlet. It's born to be a star in West Eros. There's not much between them. A length and a half to Grand Princess. BJ Lindeni gets through and Speedy Command runs on. Born to be a star leads the way. BJ Lindeni's over on the far side. Speedy Command still coming. BJ Lindeni's gone to the lead. Speedy Command drives at BJ Lindeni. And David Miller. Speedy Command has beaten home BJ Lindeni. We're back on Post Time with Mike and Mike, presented by Bet America. Mike Bozich, along with Mike Carter. Right now, we're joined by the Hall of Fame driver, Dave Miller. Dave is down under. He's in New Zealand, where it's summertime, and it's actually almost a full day ahead of us. Dave, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. I'm doing good, Mike. Well, let's uh, let's get to it. First of all, you're down in New Zealand. You've, for those of our listeners that may not know, what what are you doing down there? Well, like you said, it was uh, it was a working holiday thing. We uh, <clears throat> made plans to come down under there last summer, and uh, here we are. Tell us a little bit about the racing now. We know you've got uh, you picked up a win at Addington Park, and uh, you actually had a chance to race over the grass, something that is not uh, permitted here in the uh, states and Canada. Well, I know the Meadowlands tried it a couple of times, but for the most part, you don't see that over here. So, first of all, tell us about your first win at Addington Park. I know that had to be a kind of a thrill for you. Yeah, for sure. You know, uh, it. it the uh, the fields are a little bigger here. Like uh, you know, it's nothing for them to have a twelve horse field. You know, and uh, Addington, uh, I had a, I had a nice filly to drive, and uh, she got a good trip. I got shoved around a bit. They got the, they got a thing called the push out rule here, and I got shoved out three wide. Uh, and uh, but she kept going, and it, it was a great experience. You know, uh, to win here in New Zealand. Um, but like the first track I went to, I went to a track called uh, uh, Victoria. And uh, it was very similar. We actually raced the other way, but it was really similar to our racing. And those fields there weren't quite as big. It was eight and ten horse fields. Um, and uh, then I got to race at a track called uh, Mont Carrera. That was that was the grass track, and those fields were real big. It was sixteen, seventeen horse fields. And uh, the race I won, I got I won a race there. I was buried the whole way, and uh, I used the push out rule and pushed out the head of the stretch, and uh, it was another trotter, and uh, she trotted right to the wire real good. You know, I watched that race, and I uh, I, I kind of wondered about the, some sort of push-out rule there as I saw you <laughs> navigating and weaving through traffic there. But other than that, what would you say? Now, you've raced in the States. Obviously, you're doing a little bit of racing overseas now. What would you say some of the biggest differences are from a driving point of view from the racing here in the States as opposed to uh, New Zealand? Well, I, I I would just have to say the speeds really, um, you know they they uh, the, the tracks I've been racing at here in New Zealand, um, you know they're they're uh, they're probably uh, further than a mile. Usually we usually go like they say it two thousand meters or whatever, and uh, it's I know it's further than a mile. And then they just rate the horses a lot better, you know. Everybody kind of leads. Like I said, they're big fields, just kind of line up. Two two tiers and we just kind of sit there, you know. There's not much movement going on, and uh, and uh, and I would just say the size of the fields is really the only thing that are 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 much different. 
because I tell you what, the breeds, the breeds are all American horses anymore. I mean, I don't see very many uh, uh, New Zealand bred horses. You know, I mean, they're New Zealand breds, but they're all American ideals, betters, delights, uh, better and cheddars. I mean, all horses that are in the states. And of course, uh, the one we were just talking about uh, with with that push out rule was over the grass. Now I know that was tried a time or two at the Meadowlands uh, to mix their views, mostly uh, negative. It's obviously it's it's not happening anymore. But wh- where do you stand on turf racing, and and how much different is it racing on the turf as opposed to the uh, the limestone and surfaces here in the states? Oh, I, I I love it. The biggest thing that I get out of it is it's very quiet. Uh, you know the horses go over it, and uh, it's very quiet. You know, I mean, and it's it's a lot it's a lot easier on the horses. They don't go near as fast. They seem to get tired on it if you do rough them up. But uh, the track was kind of uh, it was it wasn't it was heavy. I'm like the grass was pretty tall, so I mean, uh, it, it it was something. Uh, I, I was I was wanting to do it, and uh, I'm glad I did. You also raced uh, in that race, I believe, from a, a standing start, something that's not done here in the States. Yeah. How, how kind of how weird is that? that? That's real weird. I couldn't get the hang of that either. I, I, did, about, I did about four standing starts. And uh, actually the horse that won was the best I got away and, and kind of timed it. It's a, it's a little difficult. Um, for me it is. I mean, I, it would take a little more... Uh, practice at it to get I even did it with pacers uh standing start with pacers and uh it's it's just kind of to really you got to really time it just right you know because you're you're constantly walking in a circle and then they tell you you know line them up and I mean like you got to be walking and going hit that hit that uh wire at the same time and then he drops it and I think you know that's that's your best way to do it, but I haven't <laughs> I hadn't got it timed just right yet. Usually I get to it too quick and I got to stop my horse, then they drop it, and you know it's kind of it's a timing thing there. But it was different. It it, it was pretty cool. It, it amazes me how they drop that wire and the trotters trot right out of there. You know, <clears throat> full tilt, and it's uh pretty amazing. Dave, we know you're down there with uh, with Nifty Norman. Uh, any. Uh... You looking to do uh, uh, any purchasing as far as horses go? No, no, we 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 weren't looking to to buy any horses uh, uh, on this trip here. We uh, just down here vacationing. We're we're, get, we're actually getting ready to head to Australia Thursday. We're going to spend like a week or so there, and then uh, head back. All right, so you'll be back in about a week, week and a half, and that was my next and final question for you because there's uh, no darn way we're letting you stay there permanently if, uh, you know, we'll have Trump send the Secret <laughs> Service and bring you back if we have to because uh, uh, we love you here in the States. Well, Dave, listen, we certainly appreciate you joining us. Good to hear your voice. And uh, by the time you get back, we'll uh, well, we'll still have a, a month, month and a half of cold weather, but uh, spring's not too far away, my friend. Nope, nope, I'll be, I'll be happy to get back. Picking up speed. Here they come. They're off, and it is on. If you're already off and pacing, what's the next step? If you're between the ages of 8 and 17 or know someone who is, visit thisisharnessracing.com to download the application for the This Is Harness Racing Aspiring Drivers Program. Perks include being a driver in the off and pacing game, meeting real-life top drivers, and getting free off-and-pacing merchandise. Join the movement. This is HarnessRacing.com. 
Hashtag This Is Harness Racing on Twitter and Facebook. Back on post time with Mike and Mike presented by Bet America. Mike, where has the last hour, uh, hour almost hour and a half gone? When we say this is the fastest ninety minutes at Hardest Racing, boy, do we mean it! I tell you what, it's been a very, very busy show, and uh, I tell you a lot of good information. If you have not heard the interview with the veterinarian from the Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture at the top of the show, you need to check it out. Uh, some very important, very critical, very vital information. Uh, about equine herpes virus. We can't stress that enough. Um, you know, the interview we had with her, she provided some very good information, Mike. Yeah, she certainly did. Uh, make sure you check out the archive. I think uh, all horsemen and horsewomen should uh, check that out because some just some great information about what you can do to prevent uh, the disease, what happened, or the virus, I should say, you know, what, uh, what can be done, um, you know, just a lot of different things about the virus. So make sure you check that out again. It's on the archive. And Mike, we've got uh, it's kind of Thursday's kind of been our day uh, because not only now uh, do we have the show at 1030 each and every morning, but also our newsletter is slated for release uh, sometime around five or six o'clock on Thursday nights. It's our second installment. So uh, it's like Thursday's kind of like the day of post time with Mike and Mike, if you will. It's the post time day. You know, that's, uh, that's kind of what we do. We kind of wake up, we get ready for the show. You know, you get our, your shower and you're kind of thinking about, you know, what you're going to ask people. And then, you know, we have the show and then we get ready with the, uh, we set the newsletter up by six, seven o'clock. I'm ready for bed. Yeah, no question about it, but, but it's good. And like uh, you, you brought up earlier, it's all about positively promoting the sport of harness racing. That's our goal when we first started two and a half years ago. And that remains our goal to this day. Uh, let's see one more thing, Mike. And, you know, we, we really didn't give this it's justice. Uh, the pre week was last Sunday and uh, bold Eagle got defeated uh, it was a great race, an absolutely great, exciting stretch call. If you've missed it, uh, go on YouTube. There's a lot of different various outlets where you can watch the actual race. But I wanted to get your thoughts about that race, Mike. You know, it was, a, it was an interesting race. Uh, there will be no Triple Crown. Uh, we found out that uh, the winner of the Prix d'Amérique will not go to the next leg of the French Triple Crown. So uh, Bold Eagle will have a host of contenders, the, uh, just not the winners. Everybody prepares for the elite lap. And, you know, it, it's double-tiered racing. Uh, Bold Eagle had to sit three wide. He got a really roughed-up trip. Roughed up trip, and for him to finish second just beaten by a neck, uh, I'd say that's pretty good uh, considering what kind of uh, trip he got. Yeah, well, uh, and I know uh, the USA sent a contingent out there. I know Alex DeDoyne was out there, Moira Fanning, Judy Davis-Wilson. Maybe we'll try to get somebody on the show next week to talk about it. Because I'll tell you what, it's a show out there. They do an unbelievable – they put on an unbelievable show um, from top to bottom. I mean, from the driver's parade to – by the way, did you see the guy um, that was steering that uh, the group of horses and he was standing the whole time? Did you see that? No, I did not. You got to check that out. That was one of the most amazing things I've Imagine this if you haven't seen it. It's almost like the Budweiser Clydesdales. I'm sure you've seen the Budweiser Clydesdales before with the with the carriage and all that they have. Imagine and, and these horses weren't that big, but imagine about uh I don't know, about 5 or 6 rows of them. 
Okay, I think they were in threes or fours, maybe not five or six, or maybe like like three or four rows. But there was a guy that was standing on one of the horses with a bunch of reins in his hand, and he was steering them through maneuvers. And he was standing the whole time. It was unbelievable, actually, how he could do this. I mean, you talk about superior reinsmanship. That's the first thing that can, comes to mind with uh, with this guy, Mike. If you, I know you didn't see it, check it out. Believe me, you'll you'll be uh, very very pleased and excited when you see that. Yeah, definitely, I have to check that out. And uh, almost like a uh, Hervé Fillion type of uh, scenario, Mike. Uh, you know, he used to come back to the Winter Circle once in a while, standing on top of the sulky. Boy, I'll tell you what. Uh, you know what a show it has been. Like I said, uh, you know, if you make sure that if you miss that first interview, Mike, I can't stress this enough. Please, please, please go back to the archive and check it out. Some great information uh, was provided to us by the uh, Pennsylvania Department of Agriculture uh, veterinarian. And special thanks to them, Mike, because I know they had to go through some special permissions to get uh, on the show here this afternoon. Uh, for uh, Mike Bozich, I'm Mike Carter. We'll see you back here next Thursday. First post is 10.30 a.m. Check out our Post Timers newsletter. Excuse me, Post Times newsletter. The second edition comes out later on this afternoon. Good night, everybody. Closing time. One last call for alcohol. To finish your whiskey or beer. Closing time. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. I know.